questions with the mind. I'm your host, sir. I want to um, welcome all of our listeners back. Um, thank you, as always, for your support and for liking and sharing our podcast. That's really how we get the message out. Um, so we try and put these positive messages out um, for transformative change and hope that uh, it sends out a ripple effect to you and your friends and your family and your communities so that we can all uh, improve as human beings and create the world we really want to live in. So thank you to everybody. Um, please continue to listen. Also, um, you can donate to the podcast. We, we don't take any profits from the podcast, but um, we do accept donations um, towards getting upgrades with our um, our sound equipment, our systems here so that we can put out a clearer message for, for you all. A uh, little side note, today is our first podcast that we're doing via phone. So we're trying this out today to see if this works. Um, so please bear with us. If you have any feedback as far as the sound quality, please uh, feel free to leave us comments. But you can always donate to the podcast. Um, you can find that on any of the podcast sites to do so. Again, all those profits go towards making your experience better. And as always, we um, are sponsored by my private practice counseling and consulting company, MindOps. You can find us at mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S.com. We're a full service counseling and consulting company. Um, and we specialize in general psychotherapy, so a wide range of mental health issues, as well as uh, psychedelic integration therapies, sport and performance psychology, and addictions counseling are some of our specialties. Um, so if you have any mental health needs or you just want to improve your mindset um, so it can serve you better, we can help in both ways. Um, we, have, we have a lot of specialty in uh, performance enhancement as well. So um, that being said, I want to get to our good news section today. Um, the purpose of this is to spread a little positive cheer and hope in your life um, as we're bombarded with all the negative images and negative news around us. It's always good to get a positive story in there. Um, this positive story I, I found today really hit home for me um, because I used to work with a variety of homeless populations uh, in different settings. I worked with them in, in jail settings as well as out in the community. And so the title of this article reads, Man is Working to Convert Cruise Ship into Supportive Housing Community for the Homeless. And I just thought this was amazing, especially in this world of excessive waste. It seems like when, you know, things like cruise ships kind of wear out or serve their purpose, they kind of go in a scrapyard. So it's good to see people really reaching out and repurposing um, giant structures like this and using it for um, building the community. So it seems like... Um, aboard the cruise ship, it will not only provide, you know, um, housing and food services, but also provide life skills, um, such as, you know, learning how to be a cook, learning how to uh, turn down beds, learning how, you know, different aspects of, of job skills that people really need retraining in for our, you know, if they're going to be successful out there after their stay. It's not meant for permanent housing, but it seems like a great idea for some good transitional housing. Um, so that's our good news story for today. We have a very special guest with us. Um, his name's Brandon. He was a, he was a good friend of mine now. Um, we actually met, uh, I believe it was a, maybe a little over a year ago in Utah. Um, I went out there to train with, train some jujitsu with some of my uh, friends that are world champions and former world champions just to brush up on, on my skill set and to learn from the best. And while I was out there, um, our master came up from Brazil and put on a seminar and, and Brandon uh, was a part of the school that the, 
that the seminar was held in. So we hit it off right away. I believe we were even paired up uh, at, at various points during the during the seminar and the training. We really just hit it off um, his passion in sport performance through a physical means and my passion for sport performance through the mental game. And we really uh, hit it off as, as kind of like complimentary, um, you know, uh, soulmates as far as like our, our interest and, prof- and, and our professional interests. So a little bit about Brandon. Um, he describes himself as being, you know, a, a super nerd and a very unathletic person when he was young. Um, but, found in his 20s uh, passion for volleyball and through volleyball developed his athletic abilities all the way to the professional levels. He, he was a professional beach volleyball player for a long time, um, has done a lot of uh, other work around volleyball and being a professional um, athlete. And that has uh, helped him significantly now as in his profession as a, a professional trainer, specializing in sports-specific biometrics. Uh, he's been doing this for almost 20 years and has a whole line of credentials behind his name that I have, uh, I only recognize a few of them. So um, always impressive to see people who have, who have worked through um, adversity in their own youth experience and come up to be a leader in the field. Um, he's done a lot of other things. Um, currently, he, he consults for um, professional or um, uh, yeah, professional hockey teams, um, farm teams for, for NHL teams. Um, he has his own company called Superhuman Performance. Um, and uh, among many other things, competing in the worlds in jiu-jitsu, uh, notable finishes at lots of different tournaments, and also a former Guinness World Record holder, which I hope he will elaborate on a little bit more in our podcast. So I want to welcome you, Brandon, to the podcast. And, What's up, Shane? Uh, are you, oh, sir? Oh, sorry, I came in early. <laughs> um, yeah, so I want to welcome you to the podcast. And um, I always start out my podcast with the same question for all my guests. Um, and that is, um, the, the podcast name is Conversations with the Mind. And the audience knows what that means to me. But part of this, uh, the idea behind the podcast is to... Um, get other people's opinions, other minds' opinions of what that phrase means and, and how they navigate the world. So when you hear that that phrase, conversations with the mind, what, what resonates and what comes up for you? Man, that's, that's deep. You're throwing the deep stuff at me real, real quick. Yeah, well, that's uh, what I like to focus on. Honestly, kind of funny. The, the first thing that came to my mind, I watch a lot of movies. I'm a movie reference guy. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Revolver with Jason Statham. A guy I love movie. that movie. That is yeah. a, that's a cult so, classic that not many know about. Yeah. So for me, like when you mentioned conversations with the mind, it's kind of that ego thing. Like, am I having a real conversation with me or is my, 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 my ego, you know, having that conversation back? That was the first thing that popped popped up to me. Yeah, yeah almost like um, you know, in in Buddhism, there's there's almost a a duality um, within this this um, idea of wholeness, obviously, but a duality between our ego self and our true nature, you know. Mm-hmm. And those are oftentimes competing in our mind space, in our in our landscape. They're competing for influence mm-hmm. over our daily experience and and our thoughts that we have of ourselves and. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of times, including myself, a lot. Uh, you know, we find ourselves in that ego space, and we have to recognize it and check it. Yeah, um, to bring ourselves back. So that's awesome that you have those conversations, and that you're aware that, you know, you you can communicate with your ego self and direct it back into 
into alignment. Yeah, I try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not always easy. Yeah. So, Brandon, I mean, you're a fascinating guy. Um, you know, I I got to hang out with you for for pretty much a solid week back at that seminar time. Yeah, and it was a good time. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I'm you know I'm kind of bummed that uh, those trips aren't going to be happening anymore. Yeah, super disappointing, but I'm yeah. I'm glad we stay connected for sure. Absolutely. Um, so one one thing that really interests me and that I've always wanted to ask you is, how does a super nerdy kid, very unathletic, maybe no interest in sports, how does someone like that develop into someone like yourself today, someone who's been a professional athlete at the highest level, someone who gives advice on um, athletic endeavors and performance and things like that. How do, how do you transition? How do you make that transition? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, like I, I am super nerdy. Like I, uh, if you could see my, my room, it's chock full of like comic book and, and other nerdy stuff growing up. Um, I did like sports though. I was kind of enamored with sports, but I was horribly unathletic. I never trained. So it was hard to be athletic unless you were just, you know, supernaturally gifted that way. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of sports. I did like swimming, baseball, soccer. Those were kind of the big ones, but up until, and I was actually pretty good at baseball. Um, but up until high school, I just kind of, it became very much a, a popularity contest. And because I was a nerd and, really didn't fit in uh i didn't make a lot of teams and i mean that's kind of dumb to say but a lot of it was kind of a popularity contest when i got out of high school that's when i first kind of discovered volleyball and it was really interesting because in my town i grew up in a small town in southern utah called saint george um Nobody, nobody played volleyball. The women's volleyball team there for the college, that's basically all that, all that existed as far as volleyball. Um, so honestly, like, I don't want to make your question longer than it needs to be, but I just really liked it. It was the first sport that I was like, wow, I'm kind of naturally good at this because I've never been naturally good at anything. Sure. And uh, to kind of give you a background of like how I got into a sport when the sport really wasn't offered, I'd go to the St. George is really hot. It's I mean, we're talking like 115 in the summer. And so yeah, I handle that. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, exactly. I, I, <laughs> I hate St. George for that reason. But you, you couldn't you couldn't play during the day. The sand would be 140 degrees. You'd like burn your feet. So. I would have to wait till like seven o'clock at night to where it would cool all the way down to a hundred degrees. Oh, <laughs> and, man. It, and it, and it made, yeah, seriously, it made it bearable, but I would go and I would take my volleyball and I would serve and run and go grab it and then serve and, and repeat that for about an hour. And then I would set like practice my handsets up against this building that was there. And I would do that until I got super bored. That might be like 30, 40 minutes. And then I would bump, like practice my passing up against that. And I did that for a long time, months and months and months, uh, pretty much my first year. And then uh, ran into some guys that would come down from another city called Cedar City. And they would come down once a week and play. 
And I somehow finagled my way into that group, even though I had never played before. I was just practicing the basics. And so, of course, I got my butt kicked all the time by a bunch of like 50-year-old dudes. And for a 20-year-old, that was kind of frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's also kind of where I went, you know what? You're going to have to train. I'd never trained a day in my life. I was the skinny, fat kid. So that was another – like. Just, yeah, not popular, nerdy, skinny fat kid that played video games and ate junk food all day. That was me. Um, but I, I realized, listen, if you do want to get better at the sport, you're going to have to train. And so I had no knowledge of training, but I ended up getting a gym membership and I just lost a ton of weight and then started like researching, okay, how do I get my vertical up and and I tried everything like the strength shoes, the, like the, uh, they weren't the strength shoes brand, but they were, they were something else, uh, you know, started lifting and ended up developing into a pretty, a pretty good athlete. Many years down the road, when I first started out, my vertical was 17, 18, 19 inches, somewhere around there. But I, I ended up with a, a 40 inch vertical. So basically short story really long uh you know i just worked really really hard really really hard for i mean i was doing probably two workouts a day uh every day almost no days off like my entire college volleyball career so four plus years and i still kind of carry that same routine or work ethic whatever you want to call i still carry that today i train pretty much twice a day every day so that's how okay um, <laughs> well yeah you mentioned a lot of great things out there that i think the audience can take from that um <clears throat> but first of all you know starting with just the basics and uh, repetitive motion and muscle memory and just doing it over and over but making sure you're doing it correctly over and over right you don't yeah, want to do it yeah. correctly but, you know, we see that in jujitsu, too, and we hear that all the time from the greatest masters is get back to the basics, rep mm-hmm. the basics, you know. So that's a big thing for people who want to um, develop into an expert. And we know from sports psychology research, too, that, you know, it takes close to 10,000 intentional reps to develop expertise in pretty much anything Um, that's physical skills that's mental skills you know that's developing um, mindsets around you know trigger phrases and the use of positive affirmations it takes reps to to make that automatic so that's one thing that you said Um, and then also you describe like this this eye-opening experience where these older guys that should not have been beating you kind of put you in your place and humbled you a little bit to the point where you had to take a look at yourself and assess, you know, if this is what I want to do, this is what it's going to take. And you made that mental commitment to, to developing that. And, you know, you started somewhere, you just went, you just went to the gym, you know, some people are like, I have these big dreams of becoming a professional at whatever sport, but I haven't even started yet. And I don't know how to get started. Well, just go to the gym a couple of times, right? Just get moving. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it turned into an obsession for you where you like, you started researching things on your own. Like, how can I improve this little aspect of my game in this aspect in this aspect? I mean, that's an amazing set of, um, you know, me- mental and physical strengths that you sort of engaged in your early twenties to, become what you did 
Yeah, I think something that I've learned much later in life that I think would apply to anybody just trying to start something, a new endeavor, a new business, new sport, whatever, and they want to be really good. The phrase that I learned from a buddy was called done is better than perfect. Any Gosh, day. That's and great. Dude, there's so many people. Like if, if I were to talk to experts now, the guys that I know in my field about what I did way back then when I started, it was absolutely the wrong way to go about it. It was just the fact that I was doing it that made such a big difference. You know, it was like, I don't really know what I'm doing right now, but I'm, I'm going to do the best to my ability and I'm going to like do it as hard as I can. And eventually, like, you know, as newer and better information came along, then I just applied it. But I, I know a lot of people kind of sit and not do anything because they're waiting for like a perfect circumstance to come along. Exactly. Um, you know, one of the phrases I hear a lot of the time is half the battle is uh, getting to the gym. You know, yep. um, once you're there, you just do the work, you know, um, it, and it is a mental game to be able to do even one workout a day is, is such a mental game for most people. And you forcing yourself to do two, even three workouts a day, you know, in your 20s, you know, th- we see that from professional athletes with with much greater uh, years under their belt who have matured. And, and here you are, you know, already implementing these uh, optimal methods to to perfect who you are as an athlete so um you know what mental techniques do you think you've employed um during that development during that transformation to make it occur what sort of mental techniques did you pick up along the way or uh, have you de- intentionally developed or have you always had um sort of that mindset that once you commit to something you're going to do it no definitely not like growing up i was very i was a i was a much more lazy kid and it, I wish I could tell you that I had some weird progression, you know, like, like, oh, I evolved into this. And for me, when it came to, let's say, uh, discipline, right, hard work, work ethic, whatever sure. you want to call it, uh, I, you know, I never had that. And uh, I went on an LDS mission, a Mormon mission to Japan, and just. I don't know. It was like a switch. I got there and I worked my face off and I had never worked hard at anything. I was the laziest freaking kid. And, uh, what made you want to work so hard there? I honestly don't know. I think I felt like it was almost like a job. Like I'm here. This is the job. I'm supposed to do this. (laughs) And I saw my companion who was my elder. He was about to go home and he was pretty lazy and I just, I just like, hey, we're supposed to be out of the door at this time. We're supposed to come home this time. I kind of looked at it like a job, and I just did it. Right. Literally like, think, a, like a mission. You know, like yeah. a soldier would think, like, this just has to be done. This is the mission. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I wish I had, like, some, you know, revolutionary moment where that occurred. But I remember getting back, and when I started training, I just kind of looked at it the same way. It was like, this is what needs to be done. And thankfully I, I still kind of have that skill set. Like I'm, I'm pretty good about like done is better than perfect. It's not going to be that great. I'm probably not going to be that good at it, but if you tell me the steps to get it done, it's going to get done. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, as far as like developing that work ethic, it kind of just clicked. I wish I had a better answer, but yeah. 
And I like that you, when you developed, I mean, you have a very strong work ethic, but that can be taken to extremes too, where people develop um, perfectionism, things like that. I used to yeah. be a, a big perfectionist myself, but like you said, like um, getting it done is better than making it perfect because it can always be better. And if mm -hmm. you're so stressed out and anxious about how perfect it's going to be, it may never get done, you know? So just show yeah. up, show up do the work, get it done. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It will continue to get better. You know, yeah. you, you can never reach perfection. Yeah. My, my girlfriend tells me a lot. The, uh, she's, she, whenever I'm, I'm working on a project or she's about to start a, a big endeavor, she always says first, it must suck. <laughs> and it's, it's true. Like your, your first, you know, if you're going into business and you create a product, it, it kind of has to suck first. Mm -hmm. And it sucks. People give you feedback and then you can improve upon it. So like when people are like, no, 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 it's got to be perfect. And, and it never comes out like they're worrying about like overcoming a step that's necessary. It's like, nah, it's, it's, it kind of has to suck. It's okay. Yeah. I, I feel that way with jujitsu too. Like there's those days when we're on the mats, right. When it, mm -hmm. it's the most miserable thing ever because we're out of breath and we're feeling like we're going to faint. And then we have like a row of five or six people that are higher ranked than us that we have to roll with and you just get smashed. Yeah, exactly. And then afterwards we're like, Oh, okay. See you tomorrow. You know, yeah. um, that it takes something to, to step onto a jujitsu mat and, just be like, I know this is going to suck or it has the potential to suck, but I also know that through the suck, I'm going to get better or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to improve upon who I am, not only on the mats, but who I am as a person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting sport. I feel like that sport, that martial, maybe not martial art, but like jujitsu more so than anything I've done, any other sport that I've participated in really re like requires you to have a, a much, a much deeper introspective look at where you're at as a human being. Sport, yeah. At, in, in other sports, I've just, I've found like, listen, it's much easier to kind of quit on that day. Volleyball, like, dude, I'm having a bad day. I'm out, <laughs> you know, and in jujitsu, like you can't just like walk out. That's not like, that's not cool. And you're probably going to get reprimanded if you do. And it really requires you to calm down and breathe and, and think about things a little bit more clearly where, you know, especially in volleyball, beach volleyball, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful lifestyle. I'm on the beach. Like I could just quit anytime I want and go like jump in the ocean or something. Sure. But uh, I, I really like that about jujitsu. It's like, yeah, you're going to have some sucky days. And if you can really look to the next day just or look at like what's happening in the moment and how you can control it, maybe this isn't the day that you strive to win, but rather just survive and learn something. It, it benefits you, uh, you know, not just in jujitsu, but outside of jujitsu. Yeah, that's where it's really the biggest benefits, I think outside of jujitsu yeah i would agree i mean i feel like um because of the the struggles that we force ourselves to be in every day on the mat you know it helps us with you know s from simple skills to from like arousal regulation and thought regulation and mm -hmm. emotional regulation that we can definitely use in our everyday life to things like you know other things start developing bigger things like 
um, just a, a general curiosity about little details of things and how things can be made beautiful and how, mm-hmm. you know, and how um, grateful we can be for the connections that we make on the mat and taking those experiences to enhance outside of our life too. I think like you, you know, I played lots of sports, but this sport more than any other has had an impact on like a positive impact on my overall life in general, you know, it's made me a better yeah. human being through and through. Um, whereas other sports were just kind of like, this is fun. And yeah, maybe I'm developing some athletic skill, but I'm not learning self-discipline. I'm not learning all these things that I need to be at my best. Yeah. I, I, I played volleyball for, I, I really don't play much anymore because of a couple of injuries that make it really hard and just painful for me to play. But I mean, I put some serious years under my belt with volleyball and some of my best friendships are that way and so for me like volleyball has kind of taught me more than anything simply because of the duration that I played I could absolutely see in just another few years me reaching uh, a similar level uh, having those relationships and appreciations through jujitsu I think it definitely fast forwards um, I think you would agree, like the relationships that you build in jujitsu are incredibly strong and they happen really quickly. Yeah. Um, it's probably because of the trust factor. You know, you've got some random dude mm-hmm. ready to snap your arm if he wants to, but he doesn't. And so you guys are like homies pretty quickly mm-hmm. in volleyball, especially the beach volleyball, like moving out to California and trying to play. There were all these clicks. So like your partner plays one tournament with you, you don't will, and then he ditches you and goes and picks up somebody else. It's really hard to develop relationships in those cliques. There's not much trust. You know, people are fickle. I Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing on volleyball. That's just kind of how it is. Sure. And we see Everybody's a little bit. Everybody's trying to make a living, you know? And on the mat, I don't think there's too many of us that are like doing that as a career. Right. Yeah, and we see a little bit of that, you know, in the MMA and jiu-jitsu comp- uh, competition world where mm-hmm. you know there's gym rivalries and things like that but uh, you know like just like unlike any other sport you know I can go to a jiu-jitsu tournament and see friends that I have that that train at multiple gyms you know all over the state or all over the country I can mm-hmm. um, pack up my bags and fly to San Diego and go train with uh, Professor Yakavazi. I can pack up my bags and and be welcomed on the mats in Utah with you guys um, you know, I can, I can go ev- everywhere. I plan on going yeah. to Thailand for my honeymoon in December and I'm taking my gi with me, Sweet. you know, yeah, we're going to do, you can train anywhere in the, in the world. And even if you're a rival gym, I mean, they're still going to welcome you on the mats, you know, yep. it, it's yeah. a, it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood, you know, it's a personhood, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, I wish I could say that with volleyball, but, uh, there's, I mean, if you were coming from New York and you wound up in Huntington Beach to play, like you might find yourself just sitting on the sideline watching, hoping that you could get a game in. But chances are you might not. But I think that's really cool with jujitsu. Like I know when I go to the Carlson Gracie in South Bay, Professor Andre is like stoked to have me, even though I don't really know the guy. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, so my forte is, is more, um, mental training and your forte is more, um, physical training, but, and we both have experience in both, you know, um, 
I recently became professional in my sport, um, which I was totally never, it was never a goal of mine. I was never planning on it. It just kind of happened because I had this um, innate passion for, for learning in my sport. Um, so we both have experience in these, in these realms. And I, I'd love to hear, you know, what is your take on and your experience around optimal performance mindsets, um, both inside and outside of sport? Yeah. With, I mean, within sport as a trainer, it's, it's kind of funny. Cause like I train athletes to reach their highest level physically. And we do that in a number of ways. And looking at the highest levels of competition, I can tell you is the guy that trains them physically. When people make that next big step, it's almost never physically. Like if I get to the NBA and I've got your most elite guys, they're already trained to pretty much their peak. There's, yep. there's very little they're going to do. And for most athletes, by the time they get to their peak, they're in their thirties when their body starts declining. So why is it like, why aren't they at their peak in their twenties when their body is at the best? And well, that always comes down to the mind, like that next progression, that next leap that they're going to take. I find it to be in two areas. One is yours, like the mental part of it, like, uh, you know, that mental performance. The other part that I find is in visual, uh, the visual aspect and like how well athletes can process information. Mm -hmm. But then your, your side would be like, what do they do with that information? Right. If they make a mistake, do they dwell on it or do they, do they overcome it? And you talked a little bit about visual triggers. So, for me, I think in order to be the best, it, it's going to ultimately come down to the mental side. Uh, I mean, even even past the visual, like let's get rid of the visual. But I know if if I'm in a competition with a guy that's every bit as gifted as me physically, it's going to be the guy that's better prepared mentally that wins. That's just the truth of it. Absolutely. So, yeah, so a big buzz phrase in my industry is having the mental edge, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's nice being someone in my profession to hear more like professional UFC fighters and stuff, talk about their use of mental training and sports psychology and things like that. It's just so surprising to me that this has not caught on sooner and that it hasn't reached the levels that it should, as far as emphasis in training um, where we're still basing a lot of our um, general training, the majority of are around physical, you know, and mm -hmm. just like you said, you at elite levels, the physical is pretty much the same, uh, very little yeah. you can do, but it's those with the mental edge who, who can weather the storm better or who can come back from defeat or, you know, they just perform better. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's a, a skill that, that not everyone has, but can definitely be developed. What do you think about, so you're talking about having development in people's um, earlier in their career before their body's broken down. What do you think would be the implications if like we had, you know, these new 20 year old athlete phenoms starting to emphasize more mental training, you know, uh, cause you can be training when you're not in the gym, you can be training when you're laying in bed, you can be training, when you're meditating, you know, you can be training when you're walking your dog, you can be training yeah. a lot when you're not at the gym. So what do you think yeah. would be the implications? 
Well, I think if we take a look at, at athletes, we're, we're, I'm going to talk specifically about athletes here, but I think if we take a look at athletes like a Kobe Bryant, you, I mean, he's kind of the blueprint for an athlete that was both gifted physically and did everything he could to put himself on another level mentally. And he did it really early on. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a few athletes that come out of high school, you know, 19, 20 years old that just have a maturity about them and can handle stress and handle pressure and work with guys like yourself because they know, they know like, Hey, this is a missing piece. I know I'm looking at my teammates. They're all gifted physically, but not too many of them are really working on their brain and Kobe's just this shining example of what a guy could do super early on if you put the time in to develop uh, mentally. I, I think, yeah, you would you would have a lot more of these super young phenoms. But then again, like you learn a lot of these lessons that make you who you are later on in life. That's why you just have so many like thirty six year old vets that just kill it. Like the some of the best volleyball players on the planet right now you have a couple of young ones but most of them are like 38 40 wow yeah so they have a little experience under their belt they've learned some hard lessons as well as you know lessons through reading books and and sports psychology and all these things but the life experience is a factor yeah yeah I, i really don't think you could duplicate life experience i think there's a bunch of like the skills and the techniques that you could do to speed up the process right to to like fill in gaps a little more quickly but when it comes down to like life experience i mean there's no way you could duplicate playing in a championship game without actually being in a championship game so for the vet they're like they're used to that kind of pressure you know if they've done it multiple times so yeah i i I would love to see more uh young guys taking the way they handle pressure and stress and and going to people like you that would be awesome if they did and then there's just always the like uh you know uh veteran mentality of just like going around the block a few times right yeah well it's it's an interesting topic I've I've had interests um, and might actually do a, a PhD dissertation on this in the future, but having interests in creating um, like mindfulness-based curriculums, uh, comfort, uh, consciousness expir- exploration um, mm. curriculums, but implementing them at the middle school and high school level as oh. like people will take a mindfulness class, you know, as part of their yeah. school day. Um, kids will meditate multiple times a week and develop skills like emotional regulation and resiliency and ability to control thoughts and emotions and, uh, you know, emotional intelligence so that the hopes are, you know, uh, well, the studies so far have shown that um, meditative interventions with kids improve academic performance and improve behaviors at home. So my, my hope is that it can go beyond that and hopefully help prevent some of these, um, some of these overdiagnosed mental health illnesses like ADHD, ADD, bipolar, depression, anxiety, and maybe if the kids get these skills early on and it's just part of their natural operating system to 
to work with their minds, then we can avoid a lot of the mental health care costs um, later in life because they will have built up resiliencies to, you know, anxiety and depression, and they'll have skills around that. Um, so I the- think you're right on the money. I definitely think that the school system, I know this is a completely different topic, but I, th- I think like the public school system fails most kids in preparing them for like real world adult type of situations and how to deal with stress. And I, I agree that if you could implement that earlier on, uh, these kids would be much, much better off in handling themselves, handling the real world. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, we already use things like that with adult athletes. Um, You know, I even with some of my youth athletes, I use some of those like arousal regulation skills already. Um, I mean, imagine the implications, too, if this finds success, you know, for like military members pre-deployment, you know, they could build up mental resiliencies to to what they know they're going to see and experience over there so that we can hopefully prevent um, more PTSD rather than only treating it once it's already happened. How about we try and prevent some of these things as best we can uh, with the, with the science and the knowledge that we do have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would it'd be cool if you could work with somebody Yeah. Uh, and, try to, and try to work that out. Well, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working good, on good for you. It. Working on applying to uh, Colorado state for a PhD next, awesome. next fall. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Dude, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, well, that's one thing that that I know um, as far as like optimal performance mindsets and and how I've learned to apply that in sport has, you know, it started out with my academics. Like I've always been a high achiever, someone who always wanted to get straight A's, you know, even back to elementary school, I can remember doing every single thing I could to get the highest academic scores I could. So, Mm -hmm. you know, developing optimal... um, habits and routines and optimal mindsets around that has definitely helped me in my athletics. Um, and I continue to use it today. It's something that fascinates me. You know, if I wasn't doing this for a career, I would still be researching it in my free time. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, you know, something that I'm very grateful for. And I feel like you're also grateful that you're working in the industry too. Um, but I'm, I, I wanted to ask you because, you have some experiences um, through jujitsu, you know, our mutual passion mm-hmm. that, that I don't have. Yeah. And I have some questions for you around that. I was wondering if you could um, tell the audience from your perspective, you know, talk about your experience training and competing at the world level. Um, I mean, you did that in volleyball as well, but uh, you have competed at the worlds in jujitsu, which is no joke. Yeah. Step on that mat. Um, at times, most of the time I feel like my skill level is, is up to par, but again, you know, those self doubt comes in and like, man, we got, we got world competitors here and uh, it's Mm -hmm. I have yet to take, but it's definitely on my goals or my, my checklist of to do's in the sport. Yeah. Um, let's see the, the, we're talking just about like big competitions, right? Like how do I prepare for a big competition well, mentally well yeah or, how do you prepare for it and also you know what it's just like to be at the world what, uh i mean you yeah. eat it as a blue belt right yeah it i uh well okay so it was, it was really kind of interesting i've i've competed for a long time i 
I actually tried to get on to the USA bobsled team. Nice. Uh, my, my, my dream was to be an Olympian. And I got to the point where I knew that wasn't going to happen with volleyball. So, of course, <laughs> the most opposite thing of beach volleyball, bobsled. I don't know. I just thought I would be good at it. Tried it. Wasn't good at it. Uh, got hurt. And so I was kind of like done mentally with competing. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Uh, I went into jujitsu. I was there for three days and they were like, you should do this tournament. And I ended up going, okay. Um, which <laughs> was habits. weird because, huh? Old habits die hard. He said yes right yeah, away. Yeah. No, like it, it was something I never, I always thought I would be okay at jujitsu because I was long and flexible and I watched a lot of it on YouTube. Like <laughs> most people that watch YouTube, they think they're experts in it, right? Um, mm -hmm. I definitely wasn't, but I, so I did this tournament like three days in and, uh, I did okay. Like I, you know, I conquered the fear of getting on the map cause it, it's definitely a real fear. It's pretty scary. Uh, a couple months later, I found myself at worlds as a white belt, like at worlds in long beach. And Just it was crazy. No, no, no. I was competing. I, nice. I decided to go and it was really interesting because nobody went with me from the gym. We didn't have a single competitor. So I was there completely on my own after just a few months of training. And that was like eye opening. I was like, holy smokes, this thing's huge. <laughs> and then like last year. So, so that's where we met and I was training as a blue belt and I had done pretty well in other competitions i'd won a few uh like the ibjjf you know the big federation i'd won a few of those but like you said worlds is like a different animal and uh i i had no expectations of winning which i think really helped me all i knew was if i trained as hard as i could then if i lost i would be able to deal with that loss better than if I had gone in unprepared. Yeah. Well, they say confidence comes from preparation. Yeah. Um, so I, I trained really hard months and months leading up to that fight camp that we were in. I was training four to six hours a day wow. hard. And that was like six days a week. And I have no idea how I came through that you know, uninjured, but then I, so we finished the fight camp. Uh, I felt good. I felt like I had done everything I could. I, I, I left no stone unturned as they say, but I did not feel like I was going to win. I just felt like, you know what? I did everything I could. So I was at least happy with myself up to that point. Um, we get to worlds. Uh, it's crazy. You know, there's so many people there. And uh, one of the things that um, I noticed is I, I kept looking at these guys and I was just seeing killer after killer. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like people you recognized food. or just no, not, not people that I recognize, just like people in general that I would see. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy looks like he would like <laughs> just destroy me. And then I would. Oh, he's a black belt. Or I'd see another guy. I was like, oh, my gosh, like he looks my same size, but. He's just scary looking. And, and then I would see that they're like, they were way under my weight class or way over. And I kept realizing like, 
huh, this is, you know, everybody that I think is super scary is not even in my division. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, so you're like, like so I had a lot of, yeah, I had a lot of perceptions about what I was going to face. And then I got on the mat with a, a guy, no offense to him, that just wasn't as physically imposing as some of these other guys that I saw. So I, I wasn't as scared. And I, it was kind of cool because I got a submission in probably, I think it was like 11 seconds. Wow. That was my first. I got him with like a standing footlock. And just getting that win at that level, I was like, oh, okay, I'm doing better. And I won my next one, and I won my next one, and I ended up blowing out my knee in the in the semifinal. But I came home with the bronze, and I didn't expect to win anything. So I was stoked, you know, and then this year I kind of, you know, I toned down my training a little bit, but I went into it with more of the mentality of this is my year. Like I was still a blue belt. I was so much better than I was last year. I felt much more capable. I had a really hard route, had really hard fights ended up with a, with another bronze but yeah that's kind of my experience at worlds so i mean i'm getting this sense just from your description of it that it's it's not like um any other tournament um or tournament series around the country that you know you walk into this arena and it's just you know a tournament on steroids it's sort of if for people who don't know what worlds are for jiu-jitsu this is like our Olympics because jujitsu is not yeah. in the Olympics. These are the best people from countries all over the planet who come to this one tournament to compete. So it's the best of the best. And you're just walking into this place and it seems like the experience itself of being there is just so enamoring. There's too, almost too much to take in. Um, you know, it's difficult for athletes to find their focus and to find um, mm-hmm. their, you know, their task orientation that, you know, this is the reason why I'm here is to compete. It's not to, um, you know, hang out at worlds and, and, you know, so that can be difficult too. um, you know, to find that balance between, you know, I need to have fun while I'm out here and taking this experience, but I'm also here to fight, you know, I'm here to. Yeah. One, one of the things that I, you know, I've done a lot of competitions now, more so than most of the guys at my gym, at least in the time frame that I've been a member there. Um, when we get to a big tournament like that, it is a big tournament, but it's not at the same time. And it becomes a much smaller tournament. Uh, if you can kind of flip that switch mentally, if, if you look at everybody as just as nervous as you are mm-hmm. the same weight, the same division, the same experience, you know, it gets a little less intimidating and it definitely kind of narrows your focus. It becomes any other tournament. Right. Like, but if you make it out to be this big, ginormous Leviathan, this beast, yeah, it, it, it overwhelms lots of people. And the only way I could say to, to anybody interested in competing at a higher level, whether it's in jujitsu or another sport, because it's going to happen, you have to compete more. You have to be in, in that, you have to be in that environment, that crazy, stressful environment over and over and over again so you can start mitigating some of that stress 
Right. Yeah. You're not going to become a world champ overnight. No. And also, you know, surrounding yourself with, with teammates that have similar goals as well. I mean, you, you're talking about starting out your journey through worlds completely alone. And now you have other people who train at your gym who are multiple time world champions as well. Mm-hmm. And it must, you know, it's totally, it's totally different experience to, to have that backing. And then it can become like, Oh, okay. You know, this is just another day on the mats. Um, and yeah. take that pressure off yourself. Um, that's where we see the the best performance is, you know, uh, and this really comes down to the story that you tell yourself around, you know, the specific competition. Are you telling yourself a negative story? Are you telling yourself a story like, you know, this is worlds. Oh my God, this is so huge. And there's all this pressure and all these eyes watching me. And what does that cause? It causes anxiety and, and declines in performance. Whereas same Mm -hmm. situation, but you just change the story and say, okay, this is just another day on the mats. I'm going to go out there and do my best. Um, I'm not guaranteeing myself any, any um, medals or anything, but that's not what I'm in it for. I'm in it for the experience. And no matter what, I'm going to win because of that, you know? So you just change the story and it totally changes the feel that you have um, going into the competition and different people compete better with different emotional states. So some people compete better angry, I'm not one of those yeah. people, you know, I have to be really calm. And if I'm having that internal dialogue that's causing anxiety, I have to change the story to a story that brings about that, that target that I want, that calm that I want, you know, so mm-hmm. manipulating the story in order to manipulate my, my affect or my emotion. And we get yeah. ample practice uh, to do that on the mats in training too. And if, you know, if, if, athletes in our sport just start realizing like, Hey, you know, you could be training your mental toughness. You can be training your mental resiliency and, and positive affirmations and thought stopping and thought restructure. You can be practicing this actively while you're training physically. It's like getting a double dose of training, you know, and then you go home and you meditate and you get more training. You maybe put on a meditation when you're sleeping and get training while you're sleeping. So there's all sorts of different things we can do to maximize, um, our training um, and our optimal mental and physical states. The, yeah. I like just to touch back on that, that story, if you don't mind me sharing kind of an experience right before worlds, it was really interesting. I, I went to nationals, which is held in Vegas as well. And that was the month before worlds. And there were only two guys in my division. And to me, I was like, okay, I'm going to destroy him. And I got on Instagram And I saw one of the guys and he was just this beast. And he like, he rolls with a crazy amount of aggression. And he had won a couple like black belt level no-gi tournaments. So me being in the gi and only being a blue belt, I was like, dude, it it got me kind of psyched out, right? Like I I looked too much into it. Now here's the crazy part. We, We go to Vegas, we go to nationals, we go out to dinner and he happens to be the server (laughs) he has no idea who i am but i know who he is and i was like what the dukes and i was just like it it psyched me out even more i get to nationals and i get my butt kicked and the funny thing is he didn't even go like i guess he didn't make weight but sure enough at worlds he's in my division he's the guy i have to beat to make it onto the podium and my my mentality after I got beat at nationals, I was so mad. 
I was just so mad. I was so bummed to see his name also at Worlds. I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to lose again, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it really put me in a funk. And then that change of the story started to go. I went, maybe it's better that I lose now at Nationals. So I have a game plan, a blueprint of how to beat him at Worlds. You know what I mean? Sure. And then getting to meet him and talk with him and humanizing him a little bit. Cause in my mind, I was like, he's a killer. Absolutely. But when I got to talk to him, we actually became like really good friends, super nice guy, much. It, it just, when we actually got to that match and I did have to face him, I wasn't psyched out anymore. I just like, kind of like, okay, here's the game plan. I know what to do. And we had a war and it was fun and neither of us got hurt. And we were like, he just st- he stuck around for my uh, my semifinal too to coach me, which was super cool. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, that but that change of story, like you mentioned, you know, like super important. Yeah. So even yeah, I love how you changed the story around. You know, turning him from this superhuman opponent to humanizing him and like, hey, this guy's a waiter. You know, yeah. this guy's a this guy has that everyday job just like me, and mm-hmm. he's dealing with um, you know stress from work and. And late nights and, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that I'm not considering in this moment that I actually have an advantage over him in, you know. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that mindset. Actually, with these uh, big MMA fights that happened last weekend and um, one of my favorites, Conor McGregor, losing to one of my – also one of my favorites, Mr. Kamini. Uh, uh, it's interesting because I've actually given this some thought in what you said, like your process. Like I'm going to feel this guy out so that I have – a game plan for the next fight. And that's what I was thinking. Like Connor gave up kind of easy. I'm wondering if he was just trying to figure out the holes in his game so that he can make a bigger comeback, make more money and defeat could be maybe on his own turf. You know, once he's sort of figured out the game uh, that he has to play. And that's interesting that you brought that up because that's a re- very real strategy, especially if you know, for sure. Yeah. Well, especially for Connor, I, I like, I, I already really liked Connor just because of the way he's treated his fans. I don't like the pre-fight antics. I'm pretty sure you probably don't either, knowing who you are. Uh, It's entertaining, but I... I, Yeah, yeah, like I understand it. I don't really like it, but I understand it. Um, But you look back at the Nate Diaz fight, right? Like, he got beat. And he could have taken the fight at a different way. He could have gone back to 155. Nate said he would. But instead, he he took the exact same fight and worked on those holes, got a much better feel for, for Nate, right? He was like, well, I can't I can't Nate knock out like I uh, I wouldn't knock out Nate like I would some of these other guys. Used leg kicks more, used his like uh, distance control much, much better and ended up getting the win. I would not put it past Connor to do the same thing with Khabib. You just kind of have to ask yourself, can he get that much better? Like, does Khabib have that many holes that Connor can exploit them in their next, you know, in the rematch? If there is a rematch, it would be really interesting for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I know from a, you know, a business standpoint and the way that general human psychology goes, you know, we love an underdog yeah. and we love, Oh, for sure. We love comeback stories and those sell 10 times more than, oh. you know, uh, the David and Goliath story is what mm-hmm. comes to mind. So, 
I mean, it, it, I personally would love to see that remake. Yeah, it would, it would, be, a, it would be a good business um, move on Connor's business team's part. So, uh, yeah. well, we're nearing the end of our podcast, and you know, time just flies by. So it does. Awesome talk. That was a lot of fun. Um, so I want to just remind all of our listeners that if you have any questions or comments for myself or my guests, you can always leave them at our website, um, mindops.com, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S.com. Um, you can also go there and book your first free session with me, um, or your, I should say your free first session. Um, and, you know, if you have any mental health needs or you want to talk about how to optimize your own mental performance, you know, for athletics or for your job or in your relationship or just in general in your life, uh, we can help with all that stuff. So, um, Brandon, why don't, you, um, why don't you share with the audience how they can reach out to you and how they can find your business online? For me, I don't, I, uh, the best place to find me honestly is Instagram and you would just super human performance. Okay. Are you on Facebook? That's, that's the, what's Are up? you on Facebook too? Uh, I am. I just don't use it. I've pretty much primarily gone to, uh, to Instagram. It's the best way to get a hold of me, honestly, or, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. And um, what sort of services would you be providing? I'm sorry, we didn't even get into your business stuff. Maybe I'll have you back on and we can talk about, you know, how you can, how you are contributing to, uh, to bettering humanity. We kind of got, that's, that's all good. But, um, you know, if people want to, what sort of things could you provide to them uh, if they would do want to reach out? So I'm, I'm a coach first and foremost, I, I do specialize in sports specific biomechanics. So I, I train athletes. We look at movement, we train through movement, better movement, but I'm somebody that doesn't want a client that comes in and leaves. And that's, that is the relationship. Uh, I look at myself much more as a coach. Like I like to be involved in my client's lives and, and have these kind of conversations, you know, outside of the gym, not just in there, but uh, I do, everything you can think of. Uh, I've been in this industry for, for nearly 20 years. So I do like weight loss, uh, nutritional work, speed and agility, vertical. I mean, that's, that's my speciality is, is jumping high, but, uh, I do consultations for teams. I like help teams organize their gym, help them organize programming and periodization, meaning like how do they plan their entire years of workouts I do that for various teams and people as well. So, and I, and I can do that online or face to face. Right on. Well, um, yeah, for all you athletes out there, um, you know, hook up with Brandon and get your, uh, your physical training periodization figured out and then hook up with us at mind ops and get your mental training periodization going and we'll help you reach your goals. Brandon, it was a pleasure having you on and we'll have you back soon. Dude, it was a blast. Shane. It's great to hear from you. Buddy. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, no problem. Take care. We'll see you.